0: Some of my favorite traditions for welcoming in the new year come from Scotland.
1: And you open at the strike of midnight, you open your front door and rush through and open the back door, so you're welcoming in the new year and letting the old year out.
0: Hi, I'm Rick Steves. In the hour ahead, friends from Europe share some of their fun rituals for marking New Year's Eve. For immigrants to the USA, New York City is still a major point of entry, as it was for so many of our ancestors. Travel writer Pauline Frommer shares how her hometown continues to open its arms to the world.
2: You know, you really see our immigrant past here in New York City,
3: and it's a very moving thing to see.
0: And Russia's resort city of Sochi is gearing up to be one of the more unusual settings for the Winter Olympics.
3: So you're literally standing among palm trees, and you can see this glorious vista of the Caucasus. And up there, they've built the ski runs and everything else that requires snow.
0: Let's resolve to enjoy the world together. It's Travel with Rick Steves. Where do you want to travel in the new year? Coming up on Travel with Rick Steves, Pauline Fromer shares a few tricks to help you enjoy New York City like you live there. And we'll check in with friends in Europe on their plans for welcoming in 2014. In a few weeks, Russia's seaside resort of Sochi will be center stage as it plays host to the Winter Olympics. Helping us get acquainted with Sochi and the impact of the Games on that region is Julia Barton. As a reporter, she's become conversant in all things Russian, and she also trains budding journalists in the former Soviet Union. She's joined by Sochi native Alex Kosevsky. He's helped the International Olympic Committee as a Russian translator, and he joins us by phone from St. Petersburg. Alex, Julia, thanks for joining us.
3: Thanks for having us. Thank you.
0: Julia, when you think about Sochi, it is a a warm-watered... It's probably the most temperate or almost subtropical point in Russia, and we're having the Winter Olympics there. How can that be?
3: Best of both worlds, right? I mean Sochi is this narrow spit of land where the Caucasus meet the Black Sea. So the Caucasus are very high elevation and many of the peaks have snow year round and they're beautiful. I think the thinking was it's already a resort town. It's been a resort town for long, long standing in the Soviet Union, and why not harness the warm weather up against the cold climate of the Caucasus and create this sort of ideal Winter Olympic zone.
0: So, Julia, what's the general lay of the land? Are they doing certain events down in the warm area on the Riviera and then certain events high up in the mountain resort?
3: Yeah, exactly. So the sort of indoor stadium sports, your ice skating and other sports that can be contained in a climate-controlled environment are down on the plain, and then you can see the mountains from there. So you're literally standing among palm trees and you can see huh. this glorious uh, vista of the Caucasus. And up there, they've built the ski runs and the snowboarding and everything else that requires snow.
0: Alex Kosovsky, you grew up in Sochi. Uh, let's talk just about what Sochi's like. It's on the Black Sea coast, one of the southernmost places in Russia, and you grew up there. What is it like as a as a summer resort?
4: Well, yes, Sochi was a very popular sea resort back in the Soviet times and it has been until like uh, recently. You know, growing up there, that was kind of fun to grow around those palm trees and go to the sea for a swim like every day. But right now, Sochi is sort of a ski resort more than a sea resort just because many like parks and all the green trees that we have, they've been damaged during the building up of the Olympic facilities.
0: Okay, so it was, uh, what, 2007, they announced that they were having the Winter Games in Sochi. Now, f- yes. five or six years later, we're about to commence the Winter Games. How has the city changed? Has it gone from a, a cuter town to a mega resort? There's a lot more infrastructure in the city. What's good about it and, and what is not good about it?
4: Well, you see, Sochi has been this like small uh, sea resort, a very narrow city with uh, the green parks again and quiet alleys. But now it has been uh, turned into this gray city, as small and narrow as it had been, but now loaded with these crazy like, twisting highways and a lot of buildings which are kind of ill-assorted in some ways. Hmm. But still, the nature outside the city is just great. And you can always go outside the city just to enjoy all those lakes and waterfalls and mountains because the views are just spectacular.
0: Alex, uh, you know, in the Soviet times, I know that was a long time ago, but, uh, boy, there's still a lot of souvenirs of Soviet city planning all over Eastern Europe and Russia. Nobody would say Soviet infrastructure is elegant. It's more brutal. Do you think that when you think of an elegant, you know, Black Sea Coast resort town, is the infrastructure, would, would you say it's thoughtful, or would you say it's more brutal?
4: Well, you know, Sochi was mostly developed by Stalin, and he was this great fan of uh, this classical Greek order, so he built up all those uh, buildings and resorts, uh, like uh, these gorgeous palaces, because Sochi was this unique place for all the uh, Soviet people, mostly not poor, but still like this middle class. It was this uh, amazing opportunity for everyone to go down to the Black Sea coast and live in uh, these gorgeous palaces, uh, because in Imperial Russia only very rich and aristocratical people uh, could afford such a thing.
0: Before the uh, Soviet Union, you know, before World War One, this was a retreat for the elites the czar and, and his cronies, and they had all these palaces. And then during the Soviet time, it became a worker's escape, and hard-working uh, middle-class uh, people in the Soviet Union would get a break down there in the sunshine on the beach, uh, inhabiting, yes, inhabiting some of these imperial trappings. Is there a sense that this was a sort of a mass resort where all the people needing a break from the factories would go during the Soviet times, or is it still a place for elites to go and hang out?
3: I think the nature of it is changing because of the Olympics, and there's been such a construction boom and a frenzy of hotels and some luxury hotels. But what's been lost in the Olympic construction boom is sort of the informal economy. So a lot of people had houses along the coast and would rent out rooms and make a pretty good living at this, and it was something that ordinary Russians could afford Anybody who was in a good piece of real estate has been removed via eminent domain, and people would get a a flat in compensation, but it was up the hill. It was not something that they could make a living from, and they lost their good little piece of real estate that had been in their family for years, but sort of informally because property rights were not really codified under the Soviet Union.
0: Are there still souvenirs and remnants of that age in Sochi today?
3: A lot of the Stalinist architecture is still around the opera house. Stalin's own home Mm -hmm. that apparently he stayed in very little is a museum now, and it's been restored.
0: I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves, and today we're learning about Sochi, the site of the Winter Olympics. Coming up, we're joined by Alex Kosovsky, who was born and raised in Sochi and studied there as a university student, and Julia Barton, who reports for PRI's The World and trains journalists all across the former Soviet Union. Another concern that a lot of Americans have is the the recent uh, law against, uh, uh, what, gay propaganda, or however Russia couched this. Should a gay person going to Russia for the games be concerned? Uh, wh- what is your advice on that?
4: Well, I am really confused on this one because I have no idea how it's going to work because all these things like are banned in Russia even, you know, to touch hands if you're gay and your partner is gay. So I'm really not uh, very comprehensive on this one, you know.
0: So it's not clear, but there is a law that was made that gay people can't hold hands in public. Is that right?
4: The law is very vague, you know, because it has this uh, terms of like neutral propaganda mm. and at least active propaganda. So no one actually, even in Russia, no one actually knows what what is neutral propaganda. Actually, so, is it holding hands or kissing neutral propaganda, or is it an active one?
0: Do you think the law was made just to placate homophobic people in the political base of some some party? And if you just uh, use discretion. It has no practical impact on a gay visitor. What do you think, Julia, about that?
3: Like many Russian laws, it's vague and can be interpreted in any number of ways, as Alex said. And also, you know, foreigners fall under a different category sort of in terms of perception. Yeah, it's it's a complicated thing that has a lot to do with the state of Russian politics and realignment uh, and the power of the orthodox church and sort of changing societal norms and things like that it's a really tough call
0: do you think the law itself was mostly kind of posturing to placate uh, some fearful segment of the electorate yeah it,
3: it it is in a sense but at the same time it can you know can have real up, repercussions yeah. for both russians and foreigners and and there will be a sort of a bubble over sochi but you know this law applies to the largest landmass in the world <laughs> Well,
0: thank you both for joining us and giving us a little insight into Sochi. Alex, what do you think the Olympics will be remembered for uh, years from now when they look back at Sochi?
4: Well, it's really hard to say now, but uh, uh, the first thing to remember and to know that this is, uh, these Olympic Games are, like, the most expensive in history, or what?
0: So very, it'll be extravagant. It'll be interesting to watch that. Julia, what do you think the Olympic Games will be remembered for?
3: I think it'll be remembered um, as, as this sort of interesting hangover from the Soviet Olympics. Hmm. So the Soviet Olympics in 1980 were boycotted by the United States. They were still a big success. And, you know, Vladimir Putin's generation, that was, that was a really big deal, the Olympics. And this sort of sporting event as a way to scaffold your legacy and your, your place in history... I'm not sure, but I'm thinking maybe the rest of the world has moved on from that, asen- in a sense, and that this is sort of a new manifestation or maybe a last manifestation of that generation of Putins that grew up in the Soviet mm. Union and had that sort of view of sport and sporting events and international prestige.
0: Because sporting sh- certainly was a big opportunity for the Soviet Union to show off, and, uh, and Putin Cute. is a product of that. Is Putin mm-hmm. uh, personally invested in the games?
3: Oh, my God, yes. So I mean, he pitched big... the Olympics in English, ah. a language that he doesn't usually deign to speak.
0: This is part of his legacy, then.
3: This is a huge part of his legacy. And I think nothing can move in Russia until the Olympics are over. And people, are, it's like, we are hosting the best party in the world. Everyone be on their best behavior, be good. And then after the Olympics are over, I'm a little worried about <laughs> what's going to bust loose in Russia.
0: Julia Barton and Alex Kosovsky. Thank you very much, and uh, we'll all look forward to (laughs) enjoying some winter fun in the Riviera of Russia, Sochi.
3: Thank you. Thank
1: you.
0: You can hear more of Julia Barton's reports from Russia, Ukraine, Uzbekistan, and even Moldova online at juliabarton.com. Up next on Travel with Rick Steves, it's an insider's guide to New York City. Then we're back across the Atlantic to find out about the fun ways some of our European friends are planning to welcome in the new year. By the way, you can always share with us your own New Year's traditions or perhaps your travel tips and reports on New York City or even Sochi. You'll find our radio message board in the radio section of ricksteves.com. Travel with Rick Steves is made possible in part by the European Union Delegation to the USA. The European Union received the 2012 Nobel Peace Prize for promoting peace, human rights, and democracy. Information available at euintheus.org.
5: I'm Joanna Lumley. I'm from London, and it's absolutely fabulous to be here travelling with Rick Steves. I'd love to boast to my friends that I spoke to Rick. We're all sitting with bibs round our necks and our eyes glittering. <laughs> and I'm from Patsy. I think, uh, Rick, you're fantastic. Cheers, sweetie. <laughs>
0: Just because 52 million people came to visit last year, there's no reason for you to be overwhelmed by New York City. To help you work the city like a native, Pauline Fromer joins us now to tell us about the must-see highlights of her hometown. She's just authored a new series of easy guides, and the Fromers.com website has been recently updated with destination guides and family travel tips. Pauline, thanks for being our guide to New York City.
2: Well, it's great to be here. Thank you.
0: There's a lot of books out on New York City, and you've put a lot of energy into your new book on New York City. How is Frommer's Easy Guide to New York City anything different from what's already out there?
2: We wanted to create uh, not only this book, but the whole Easy Guide series is about, A, what's authentic. We know that we have to compete with the web, and the web is a treasure trove of information, but it's not curated information. So in this book and in the others in our series, we try and tell you about what are the experiences, what are the restaurants, the hotels that you'll only find in New York that will tell you something about the zeitgeist of the place. So we're all about authentic. We're all about giving you the best values in every price range. And that's hard to do in New York, so I had to do a lot of digging because New York's expensive.
0: Well, let's talk about an experience. What's an authentic experience in New York that you wouldn't find elsewhere that would be a a big part of doing the city successfully, in in your estimate?
2: Oh, well, there are the classic experiences, of course. Um, New York had one of the very first skyscrapers uh, in the world. Uh, Actually, the Empire State Building wasn't one of the first, but it was one of the most impressive And going up there and seeing the city laid below you, Hmm. uh, this pulsating mass of people all on these grid-like streets, I think is an essential experience. But there's also oddball experiences that you can have in New York City that you won't have anywhere else. For example, Brighton Beach in Brooklyn has the largest Russian community outside of Russia itself. And you go to these nightclubs there, and there are women dancing covered with feathers and there are people telling jokes in Russian and you're downing bottles of vodka <laughs> and suddenly it's like you're in Moscow but you're just in Brooklyn. So what's uh, the, what's the name of this place? It's well there's many of them but my favorite is called Tatiada.
0: But what is the district?
2: Brighton Beach, Brooklyn. It's Bright- a it's Brighton a really Beach. fascinating place to walk. You, you walk down these streets and all of the awnings have Cyrillic lettering and they're selling nesting dolls and pictures of Stalin on T-shirts and all, all kinds of tea cozies and lots and lots of, of the types of fish and dill-laden foods that the Russians love.
0: So is, is this something new or has Brighton Beach always been a Russian hangout or is this something that's just happened in the last decade or so?
2: Oh, not the last decade. I would say it's been at least twenty-five or thirty years. Okay. Um, I mean, you think of Woody Allen's play and movie Brighton Beach Memoirs. This used to be a more of a Jewish neighborhood, and then it then it became more of a recent Russian immigrant neighborhood about twenty-five years ago.
0: So, your book, uh, the Easy Guide series, is is about authentic. But when you go to a great city like New York, if it's your first time you got to do the obvious stuff, too. What are three things, even if they're clichetic, that the first-time visitor really should do when they go to New York City?
2: Well, the most popular site in New York City now is also the most sobering, and I think everybody should see it. That's the 9-11 Memorial. In 2014, the museum will open, but just the memorial itself is very, very moving. I think the architects did a wonderful job. They created these huge pools in the footstep of where the towers were, and kind of their emptiness reflects the emptiness we all feel mm. about that horrific event. So the 9-11 memorial is one. Uh, the Metropolitan Museum is number two, I would say. I think it's the greatest museum in this hemisphere. It's certainly the largest, and it has such a treasure trove of things to see and do, from Egyptian temples to paintings by the great masters to complete rooms taken from homes by Frank Lloyd Wright. And the best way to do the Metropolitan Museum is on a Friday or Saturday night because they stay open till 9 p.m., and most tourists don't know that. That's when the locals go. Ah. And you go up to the roof garden, you have a glass of wine, you <laughs> s- watch the sun set on Central Park, and then you go downstairs and you look at the art and you're in the galleries all alone. Now that's it's the magic. mark.
0: that's the mark of a good guidebook writer, to not just list a great site, but to explain what's the best time to experience and how to experience
2: it. Oh, well, thank you, Rick. Mm-hmm. That's, that's very, uh, that's an honor that's coming great. from you. So that's number one, number two, and number three, I would say, would be the combination of the Statue of Liberty and Ellis Island, um, you know, you really see our immigrant past here in New York City, and it's a very moving thing to see. Unfortunately, Ellis Island, when I was writing the book, was closed because of damage from Hurricane Sandy, Oh yeah, but it's open by now.
0: If you want a, a tip, we're talking about anybody can go to the Statue of Liberty. What's a tip on enjoying and
2: understanding the Statue of Liberty? Oh, well, you've got to get advance reservations so you can go all the way up to the Crown. It was closed for a while after 9-11, but they've reopened it. And it's just so much fun to go up this spiral staircase and see the inside skeleton of the lady, who which was created by Gustav Eiffel of the Eiffel Tower fame. And it's really, uh, it's a beautiful statue, but it's also a marvel of engineering.
0: So there's an erector set kind of uh, skeleton behind the, the plates, the metal plates on the outside, huh?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So you want to take time months in advance, get Mm -hmm. your advance reservation because they do sell out. You want to be one of the few people that day that gets Ah. to go all the way up to the crown. Now that is
0: the mark of, uh, that that distinguishes the -the on-the-ball travelers from the rest of them is those who recognize long before their visit to a great and popular city what you should make reservations for. So if you've got a trip to New York City coming out in six weeks, what should you be making reservations for at this time?
2: You should be making reservations at seven hotels. <laughs> and I say that because New York City is the most expensive city in this hemisphere. And yet the hoteliers all play chicken with one another with these hotel prices. And often they will let them drop as it gets closer to the date And because you don't have to pay for your hotel room until 24 hours in advance, sometimes by making multiple reservations and looking at the prices, you can get a better price. There are many ways to get good prices. Unfortunately, New York City hotels are ridiculously expensive. That was the heartbreaking part of researching this book.
0: Now, that is interesting. So you can make several reservations and you're holding the room. But mm-hmm. you have a disincentive of actually paying in advance because you want to wait until you see how they're going to put things on the push list.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and you can and actually the hotels... get away with
0: that. You'll save hundreds of dollars that way.
2: You can because the the hotels know that September, October, are mm. high season, so are many of the months in the spring. Low season is early December, January, February. Mm-hmm. But if you're going in the high season months they are going to try and charge as much as they can from you. And and you cannot think that because... Their hopes may be dashed and... Um- their hopes are not dashed because, <laughs> unfortunately, 52 million people came to New York City last year, which means that the hotel rate here was 90% occupancy most of the time. So the hotels can get away with charging these outrageous prices because if you don't pay them, often you don't have any place to sleep. And last or about two years ago, they made it illegal to rent apartments in New York. So there aren't as many alternative accommodations as they're used to. So that um, Airbnb has had a tough
0: time in New York City, I think.
2: Well, a guy got sued recently. You're yeah. you're actually allowed to rent a room in someone's apartment right. if that person is there, so a private B&B, mm-hmm. but renting the whole apartment is illegal. Not that many people are getting caught, but I don't know. I wouldn't want to right. risk it.
0: Okay, so make reservations in a bunch of hotels and then actually firm it up and pay for it just uh, when you think the price is low. Make a reservation for the Statue of Liberty so you can go to the top. Uh, Mm -hmm. I would imagine you'd want to book your theater tickets. Are there ways to save money? Everybody wants to go to the theater when they're going to New York. How do you sort through the options and get an affordable ticket?
2: Well, there's a a very good site. There's a couple of them, but the one I like best is called Broadway Box, and what it does is it lists discount codes, The truth is there are maybe six shows a year that don't discount. Mm -hmm. Every other show in town has to discount uh, at some point, Ah. usually on Tuesday nights, Wednesday nights, earlier in the week. You're you're more likely to get a discount. Uh, But you can get discounts of up to 50 percent by going to BroadwayBox or Playbill.com or Theater Mania and using the code and getting that discount.
0: So you'll save a lot of money if you got a four or five night trip to New York City by doing your theater going outside of the weekend.
2: Yeah, if you can, if you can. And you want to see the right thing. Uh, You know, I was an actor in my early 20s, so I know a lot about the theater, and I know about how actors are put into shows. And when a Broadway musical has been running for three years, four years, it gets really stale. Mm -hmm. Uh, Unfortunately, the actors who take over Mm. never get to rehearse with the director. They're basically told, do exactly what the guy before you did. Oh, my, I didn't realize that. So that is stale. Yeah, that leads to kind of clunky performances, plus the chorus, who are thrilled to have a job, any New York actor is thrilled to have a job, they stay with the show as long as it runs, and that gets pretty boring after a year or two. And so Mm. they become a little zombie-like. So Mm I would say... Go for a newer show. You're there's, usually going to get a better experience.
0: Good tips on the theater. Pauline Fromers, our guest on Travel with Rick Steves, is our personal guide to visiting New York City. You'll find more of her recommendations in the destination guides at Fromers.com. Pauline, uh, you're going to do the theater. Let's say you got a couple more nights. What's an alternative nightlife option, something a little more off the wall?
2: Oh, there's so many things you can do. You could go to a poetry slam. Uh, you could go to hear somebody very famous speak, you have to realize that New York City is kind of the opinion maker's capital of the U.S. This is yeah. where the news media is. This is where the United Nations is. And so we get extraordinary people coming to give speeches at venues all over the city, and it can be a, a, just a really exciting thing to do on a night in New York City.
0: What's a good source of information to find out what's happening tonight?
2: New York Magazine or The New Yorker, mm-hmm. uh, both list these things, as do Time Out Magazine, and they're all online. So I would say those are those are probably the best sources. Uh, the 92nd Street Y often has great speakers, so okay. if you go to their uh, yes. website.
0: What a diverse world it is in New York City. And the poetry slam, my, my daughter's taken me to a poetry slam evening in Washington, D.C. and in Chicago. And... Both times it was just really, really entertaining. So that's a a good option in New York City.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And there's, of course, there's jazz, there's comedy, there's uh, ballet. I mean, this is where the best artists, I'm going to sound like a total New York snob, Mm -hmm. but that's, that's us, that's us New Yorkers. We think we've got it best here. And people who really are very, very serious about the arts come here. So any evening spent looking at the arts is going to be, extraordinary or just going out for a fabulous meal we have the most creative crazy chefs here i went to a place called Aska in brooklyn uh which is a a nordic cuisine place Hmm. stockholm now has more michelin stars than any other city in europe Hmm. and nordic cuisine is the cutting edge and they put plates in front of you and they say to you pig's blood meatball and then they kind of look at you again as if it's a dare. You're going to eat that. And you cut into it, and it's absolutely delicious. And then they put a dehydrated scallop in front of you, covered with uh, pine nuts or, or actually pine needles. Really wacky, creative cuisine, but delicious.
0: New York native Pauline Fromer is showing us around the highlights of her city right now on Travel with Rick Steves. You can find her destination tips online at fromers.com. That's F-R-O-M-M-E-R-S dot com. Pauline, we've got an email that's come into to us at radio at com from a listener named John in Jersey City. John asks for your favorite hidden gem in New York.
2: Oh, gosh. Uh, there's so many of them. Uh, I don't know if it's that hidden, but I find the Tenement Museum very, very moving to visit. It's a actual tenement that literally hundreds of immigrants had as their first home when they came into the New World. You tour it and you learn the stories of these people. The first time I saw it, I'm a native New Yorker. I was born in New York. I've lived here my whole life and mostly in small apartments because that's what we do in New York City. And I was there with a bunch of tourists, and they were looking around going, oh, my goodness, can you believe how small this is? And I was thinking, (laughs) wow, this is bigger than my apartment. (laughs) But, of course, I wasn't sharing it with 12 other people, as the immigrants would have been doing at that time. But the Tenement Museum, to me, is is one of the don't-miss sites that too many people don't go to.
0: Our email address is radio at ricksteves.com, and Patricia in Coral Springs, Florida, emailed us, And she writes, My teenage daughter and I just completed our second trip to New York City. In addition to Broadway, can you suggest options for experiencing the performing arts in New York City? She's a dancer and is looking for an affordable experience for her next trip. Pauline, any thoughts on performing arts?
2: Yeah, if she's a dancer, she should go to the Broadway Dance Center, which is a place where they teach dancers. Everybody who wants to be in the chorus line on Broadway goes there for classes, and anybody could sign up for just one, and she could test herself against other dancers. It costs maybe $25 for a class, and that would be an amazing way for her to spend an afternoon. She'll just have to pack her leotard, (laughs) or she goes to the ballet. They have discounts uh, for young people. And seniors, and even the cheap seats are not too expensive. All right.
0: I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been talking with Pauline Fromer, who's got a new guidebook out, Frommer's Easy Guide to New York City. And the great thing about this is that Pauline's born and raised in New York City. Pauline, as a New Yorker yourself, how did that contribute to making this book uh, unique?
2: I guess I know what the stereotypes are about New York, and I wanted to overturn them in this book. I think we're the friendliest city in the United States. I think that we're a city that actually has time to stop and talk to people. And I I wanted to make sure that my readers understood that and, and understood that if they sit at the bar at a restaurant or if they ask for directions on the street, they'll meet people. To me, meeting people is is really the essence of travel, yeah. and you can do it really well in New York City.
0: That is so fundamental to travel, and it's good to hear from a New Yorker, and you sound fairly friendly, that uh, <laughs> you guys are, are willing to sit and talk. Let's finish it off yeah. with just a thought of where would you follow your nose, and how would you meet the people who were in that neighborhood?
2: If I were going just to, out to explore, I would take the International Express, which is the number seven train, out to Queens, because it, it hits all kinds of different ethnic communities, and you could see the whole world in an afternoon, mm. and it's, it's wonderful to speak to new immigrants from India and from Colombia and from Ecuador and from Russia or, or the Czech Republic. You meet people from all over the world in New York, and that's one of the things that makes New York so great.
0: I, I'm with you there. That's one thing. Every time I go to New York, it occurs to me, the world comes to New York, and, and now so have I, and, and let's connect. Pauline Fromer, say hello and give your, uh, to your dad and give him my best wishes. He's my, my inspiration in so many ways, and uh, good luck with, with all your new guidebooks in the Easy Guide series from Fromer's. Thank you.
6: Sing to me one song for joy and one for reason.
7: And whatever's in between that I call mine, with the street lamp light to illuminate the gray and the pearls.
0: there are many customs to welcome in the new year European style. We'll have fun exploring a few of them next on Travel with Rick Steves. There are a lot of ways people in different countries welcome in the new year, with customs and a few superstitions that help guarantee good things for the year ahead. In just a bit, we'll hear how the Scots, Belgians, Portuguese, Welsh, and Croats observe the holiday. Let's start out in Spain with tour guide Federico Garcia Barroso. Federico, as midnight approaches in Madrid, what are we going to see on the streets? A big party, a
7: big party for everybody. Let's go all together to Puerta del Sol, which is uh, Spain Times Square, and we'll have a big celebration. Local people, we have a very, very nice tradition, which is to eat 12 grapes at the same time that we are listening to those 12 chimes. Try to synchronize that, which is a little bit difficult sometimes, All right. And um, Well, you finally succeed. You s- supposedly will have a, a very happy new year. Health, money, and love, of course. Health, money, love. and love.
0: So yeah. you're you're popping those grapes into your mm-hmm. mouth 12 times, in mm-hmm. sync with the ringing of the clock mm-hmm. on the main square in Spain with mm-hmm. thousands of people watching. Mm-hmm. All of the country tuned in on television.
7: All the country, the whole country watching the television and just enjoying that uh, moment, that a specific moment of the 12 chimes, the 12... Grapes, And it's coming, actually, also from another, <laughs> I would say, another historical reason. Uh, at the very end, at the very end of the 1800s, there was an extra production of grapes all over Spain. And those wine producers, they had to do something with those grapes. And they created that new tradition to eat grapes, you know, in New Year's
0: Eve. And it stuck. And mm-hmm. that's one way to get good luck, I guess, for the New Year. Are there any other ways to get good luck for the New Year? Well, red underwear. Red underwear?
7: <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> you have some red underwear? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Do they work? That's in case. Yes, it works. Yeah.
0: (laughs) What's the craziest thing you've ever been involved in at midnight on New Year's Eve? Mm. I'm a good boy, you know. (laughs) I really, I'm really a good boy, you know. I wouldn't be able to just noise making and maybe (laughs) kissing your partner, huh? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Just like all over the world, Federico Garcia Barroso, Wish America a happy New Year in Spanish. Would you please? Queridos amigos,
7: americanos y americanas, feliz año nuevo a todos.
0: Feliz año nuevo. For everybody, a todos. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Gracias. De nada. Where the grapes? Let's pop 12 of those grapes quick. <laughs> and I'm glad I'm wearing my red underwear. <laughs> 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 all over the world. People are revving it up in anticipation of the new year. They do that in Croatia, too. I'm joined by Marjan Krzkovic from Croatia. Marjan, New Year's Eve's coming up. What's going to happen in Zagreb, the capital of Croatia?
6: Well, people are getting ready. They're just uh, relaxing after the heavy meals the Christmas holidays brought with them. And uh, they're going to replace the uh, more spiritual experience of Christmas and get ready for the big New Year's party with the fireworks.
0: People gathering together. Is there a main square in, of in course. Zagreb?
6: course. Turgbana Jelicic, the square of uh, Viceroy Jelicic, and that's where the main party goes on. And then what happens? People bring out uh, champagne, there are big fireworks over the square in the city, music, there is food, and of course at midnight everything goes crazy. Does everybody just collapse the next day, or are there family festivities on New Year's Day,
0: or in America we all watch football or watch a parade on TV, what happens?
6: On uh, New Year's Day, one of the memories that I always have connected with it is waking up the following morning, obviously a bit later, and you're waking up by the tunes of the uh, concert from Vienna. That's just something that I really always connect with it, and most people just tune into uh, the first program of Croatian television that has live transmission from Vienna, a close connection to the Central European culture... And, um, so you celebrate European culture on channel number one, Croatian <laughs> right. national yes. TV, listening to the Vienna Philharmonic? Yes. yes, and it's the perfect thing to do, to relax, to uh, bring you back from the day the <laughs> living to life after a long, long night of partying.
0: There is a, sort of a, a funny reason you have gifts that are given on New Year's Day, actually, mm-hmm, in mm-hmm, Croatia. Mm-hmm. How do you manage to get gifts on New Year's Day when uh, most people just get them on Christmas? <laughs>
6: <laughs> well, uh, in the past, in the uh, times of communist Yugoslavia, they tried to put the two holidays, blend together in people's heads, so they would replace Christmas with uh, New Year's. Oh, because
0: the communists didn't want Christian holiday. Exactly. Okay, so you've got to keep the holiday. That's right. You they want weren't... to put it in something more atheistic.
6: Exactly. New
0: Year's Day, is there some sort of a gift giver? What happened to Santa Claus?
6: Yeah, uh, Santa Claus gets replaced as well. He's called uh, Died Mraz, which translates to Father Frost.
0: Father Frost comes on New Year's Day or New Year's Night? He comes on New Year's Night. Are you starting the year with resolutions to be sure that you are healthier or or more thoughtful? Of course, and
6: they work usually just as little as they do anywhere else.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Marian Krzyzkovic, I imagine when you get together with your friends, you raise a toast for the New Year in your beautiful language, Croatian. Can you share that with our listeners across the United States? New Year's is approaching. Give us a toast and a, and a New Year's greeting from your country,
6: Croatia. Of course. Sretna Nova Godina, puno sreće i zdravlja u Godini.
0: And in English, what would that
6: be? Uh, happy New Year, all the luck and good health in the upcoming year.
0: with his roots firmly planted in his native Wales. Martin Vlandovits joins us for a peek at the uniquely Welsh way to celebrate the holidays. Let's talk New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve coming up, do the Welsh just uh, have the same traditions as the English, or how would you celebrate New Year's Eve in Wales? New Year's Eve in Wales nowadays is uh, much done the same as it
8: is elsewhere. We tend to have the fireworks. Now, what's the drink of choice? Are people drinking wine or hard liquor or beer or what? Beer is the most popular drink. In it. Beer was, it was wassailing, uh, which in Wales, the blessing of orchards for fruit coming. And that was done in beer. The other one that customs we got at New Year's in Wales was Kalenig or Klenig, uh, depending if you came, Klenig in, in North Wales, influential, and Kalenig down in the South Wales, where groups of children would come to your house and, and you were supposed to give them money. They'd give. What would they do in
0: return? Would they sing? Would they, they
8: would. Uh, poems, there would be some singing, uh, one of the old. Uh, Klen- young
0: people come door to door reading, right. uh, reciting poetry. Yes, so yes. Welsh. And then you, you give them a present?
8: Yes. One of them is a uh, God dies hedyu maas om t." And this is from South Wales. "Am cord am pastum a adaman neges ar se sev hanun a abarachaus." And what this is is um, I got up early this morning, I got my stick and I got my bag and I came out and here's my message to you, fill me bag with bread and cheese. Fill <laughs> <laughs> my bag with bread and cheese. Would
0: bread and cheese satisfy the kids these days? Well, no, I don't think so. Now in the United States, we uh, dedicate the uh, first day of the year to overcoming the partying from the last night and watching a great football game. What's What's the activity on the first day of the year in Wales? You get New Year's rugby because rugby ah. is
8: the game, particularly in South Wales, but again, traditions and played at Christmas uh, there was a game... New Year's called, rugby. Is it sort of yeah. a,
0: the big cup game then? Yeah.
8: You, you get, on New Year's. It's, it's not the big cup games, but it's all over Christmas. On Boxing Day, the day after Christmas, and on New Year's Day, you get these rugby games. And in days gone by, and we're talking, ooh, certainly recorded in the 17th century, there was a game called Knappan, which approximated to rugby, but it was played between whole villages. And they were, there were some wow. horrible, bloody things where all you had to do was get this thing from one village
0: to the other one to win. And oh dear broken bones head and throat I love the way that every culture celebrates the holidays a different way and every culture has its own way to wish someone a happy Christmas and a beautiful new year wish me in Welsh a happy holiday and specifically what was that? that was Merry Christmas and a happy new year thanks Martin thank you Of course, the home of Robert Burns and Auld Lang Syne is filled with interesting customs for welcoming in the new year. Ken Hanley and Ann Doig from Edinburgh join us now for a proper Scottish approach to the holiday. Thanks for being with us.
1: You're very welcome. Thank As you for I having work, us. For having Are
0: us. you looking forward to New Year's in Edinburgh? <sighs> absolutely. Oh, absolutely. How do you celebrate New Year's Eve in Edinburgh?
9: Uh, very traditionally. I know we have what's said to be the biggest street party in the world, but, you know, if we're going for tradition which I still do and Anne still does, then you make sure the house is clean. (laughs) So the house, in other words, has got to be clean. And you make sure that you've got enough drink for your friends and things like that. People go first-footing. And to go first-footing properly, you have to have a piece of black coal, a wee piece of cake and a wee bottle of whiskey. What's first-footing? It goes, you go t- to friends, you just tap you a door. Go visiting and, and they're not you know. going to turn you away. Absolutely no. And I think if your first footer, traditionally in Scotland, is tall, dark and handsome, that means that you're going to have a year of good luck.
1: It's quite interesting. It has to be dark. And I wonder if anyone knows why it has to be a dark mm. person. Dark here. It dates back to the attacks by the Vikings, the blonde, tall Vikings. If you're blonde, you might be a threat. So it had to be a dark person. And you open at the strike of midnight, you open your front door and rush her through and open the back door. So you're welcoming in the new year and letting the old year out. So there's all these traditions that we adhere to.
0: <laughs> wow. Now, is there something
1: that is like a countdown in, in Edinburgh? It's fireworks, really. Yeah. There's a big street party, you see, so they'll be counting down on the stage. There are entertainers and oh, yeah. bands playing. And then oh, yeah. all of a sudden, there's an explosion of fireworks over Edinburgh Castle. With but the then backdrop. you get down with your neighbours and you open your front door. Absolutely. And you open the back door. Yeah. Yes.
9: Total strangers can turn up at your door and everyone's welcome. And they come in and you offer a drink, you offer a piece of cake, you have a wee blether, you know, and then That's you move talk. along. And a wee blether
0: is a little top. A wee blether talk. is a little talk. <laughs> talk. Have a wee blether. And it sort
1: of gets known in the community who's got open house. That's what happens. Okay. And if you've got open house, then everyone piles in to visit you. If you're in Scotland on New Year's Eve,
0: it's just like one big open house. People are on the streets, they've got their coal and their drink and their cake and they're going to yep. knock on a stranger's door and celebrate the New Year.
9: Absolutely.
0: We all sing "Old uh, Lang, Lang Syne." Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Sing we the, do. That's oh. Scottish,
9: isn't it? Yes,
1: uh, yes. Robert Burns. That's yeah. Robert Burns. What, yes. what does that
0: mean, "Old Lang Syne"?
1: For the sake of Old Lang Syne, a lot of different interpretations. I would say for old friends, remembering, remembering friends for for friendship's sake. And you know the song. Sing the song for me.
9: It's uh, an yeah. uh, old sentimental song. You know, acquaintance Don't be forgotten, never brought to mind. Should all acquaintance be forgot forgot For the sake sake of all lang syne Now, here's the hand, my trusty friend And here's the hand, oh mine And it goes on And And you're all holding hands It's this inbuilt thing in the Scots That, uh, you know, it's been great to see you We don't want to see you go But because you're going away for the sake of old lang syne, keep that memory, keep everything that heartfelt thing. thing. So that's the
0: that's the punchline of the lyric is for the sake, sake of old lang syne, old al- good old, sake old of times Yeah. Yes. <laughs> for the sake of old lang syne, happy New Year. Okay. And
9: happy, a happy New Year, Year All you. the best to you. Happy <laughs> New Year, Rick Boy.
0: As we explore New Year's traditions around Europe right now on Travel with Rick Steves, there's a special custom observed by children in Belgium that our friends Nina Derricks and Ferdi Mengi are here to tell us all about.
5: We have a really nice tradition in Belgium where the little children, even from kindergarten onwards, learn to read a letter. In that case, kindergarten, you learn it by heart. And in that letter... Um, you address your parents and you promise to be a good child for a whole year. You also promise this to your godmother and to your godfather. Yes. But this tradition is getting more and more complicated in schools now because there are more and more divorces. Oh. So yeah. kids turn up to have too many parents and grandparents. and Lots of letters. Too many <laughs> and, letters.
10: And I remember that that also kids, I mean, there were kids like 10, 12 year old reading the New Year's letter or the New Year's brief, like we say. And now they're they're more like from first elementary, second, and a third. It's already beginning to. So this is rare. a
0: genuine New Year's resolution kind yeah, of thing. it's, it's yes. it has nothing to, to do parents. with some sort of a
10: fake no, no, no. Santa Claus or anything. Yeah. This is it's real New Year's. To your parents years? or to your yeah. you grand. Uh, What's the name of that in Flemish?
5: A uh, New Year's brief.
10: Uh, New Year's brief. Uh, yeah. It's so mm. fun to talk to both of you about this because you're both lighting up like children here. Remember, <laughs> well, it yes. brings back memories. I mean, yes. I I thought it was a fantastic time.
5: Yeah, and also uh, on the first. New Year's Day, little kids are sent out to go and wish everybody, sing New Year's Day wishes yeah. to everybody in the village. So mm. you stitch up a tea towel till it forms a bag, hang it around your neck, go from door to door, kind of like Halloween trick-and-treat. You
0: stitch up a tea towel to make a bag? Yes, hang it make... around
5: your neck, and ah. in there you sing from door to door, Happy New Year, wish all the best for the new year, and then either the lady opens the door or not, and then you sing a nasty song. But you get sweets, but unfortunately nowadays you get, um, which is... More correct, I suppose some coins for Yeah, some coins. Oh,
10: coins. And what we else did is three kings. Three koninge. Yeah. I remember me... That's Epiphany. Goli. That's yeah, uh, the epiphany. January 6th. Yeah. You dress up as oh, the three kings? Oh, we dressed had, up. We had a star and we would sing door to door. And of course, in the old days, it was trick-or-treat. You get candies. But on the mm-hmm. end, we wanted the money. We wanted to see coins because... It that was like
5: was treasure hunting. That whole hunting. period is fantastic. And that
10: was, that was a time that really... I still remember it was like just yesterday. Please, sing me three kings. Uh, Drie koningen, drie
5: koningen, geef mij een nieuwe noot. Mijn is versleten, moeder mag het niet weten.
10: Vader heeft het.
5: Rooster geteld.
10: In de rooster geteld. That's it. I mean, uh, it's been 50 years. <laughs> I mean, or oh, 40 years. Good memory. Yes. Now, what is that? What did it mean in English? Uh, it means actually uh, three kings, three kings. Give uh, me a new hat. Give me a new hat. My old one is worn out. Mm-hmm. buy me a new hat and my dad already counted the money to buy me a new hat and okay. don't
5: tell my mum that yeah, my old hat has worn out yeah and don't yeah. tell my
10: mom that to, yeah. and then they'll a... toss some goodies into the oh, bag yeah. you won't hopefully otherwise you
5: get a nasty song uh, yeah I know. okay we will
10: <laughs> a you to sing ones, nasty but, song yeah.
0: can you please just because I love the Flemish language <laughs> wish our listeners across America a holiday greeting from
10: Belgium een zalig en gelukkig en een voorspoedig nieuwjaar and Nina, can you give us something? I
5: just couldn't improve on that because that's <laughs> the one.
0: And I would say, danko vel. Graag <laughs> And let's celebrate New Year's in Portugal. I'm joined by Cristina Duarte. Cristina, thank you for being with us. Thank you, too. Happy New Year. How do you say Happy New Year in Portuguese? Um, <laughs> uh, <un> bom ano. <laughs> and if you were in Lisbon on midnight on New Year's Eve, what would happen?
11: Uh, fireworks, of course. Huge fireworks. You want to go to the major places in the major squares and uh, either Commerce Square or in Berlin area nearby, the Berlin Tower. They do huge fireworks because there is no bar open, no nothing about. So everybody steps and bring their own champagne bottle and after a while we are just sharing. So thousands of people <laughs> gathered yeah, in exactly, the main square with exactly. their own champagne with bottle. With their own champagne we say and B-Y-O-B. with their own raisins because you don't want to... Mm, to lose them. What's a raisin? uh, A raisin is uh, something that you eat with the 12, the 12 um, kinds of uh, the bell. So you have a dried
0: grape and you're going to eat this 12 times. Yeah,
11: exactly. 12 times with 12 wishes. So sometimes it's kind of so (laughs) so difficult. So at
0: midnight you've got thousands (laughs) of people on the main square with their bottle (laughs) of champagne (laughs) champagne. and 12 12 (laughs) raisins. At the striking of the clock, twelve, dong, yes, dong, dong, dong,
11: as they were one, two, and make a wish, make a wish. So after the fifth, you don't know no longer what to wish for the year. <laughs>
0: You've been enjoying your champagne. <laughs>
11: yes. Now you got to remember
0: your twelve wishes. To eat those raisins <laughs> to celebrate the new year in yeah. Lisbon. That sounds like fun.
11: It's very, very fun. And afterward, most of these places, they have also concert music, so go on on until 4 o'clock in the morning, 5 o'clock. So it is a, a great uh, opportunity for the outsiders if they don't have an opportunity to go into a private party. They have these public areas that are wonderful.
0: Do us a favor. Wish our listeners in the United States a uh, Happy New Year from Portugal.
11: Um bom e próspero ano novo
0: a good and a prosperous
11: prosperous new year. Year. Obrigado. De nada.
10: Travel with Rick Steves is produced by Tim Tatton.
11: With Sarah McCormick.
10: And Isaac kaplan
0: Woolner At Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington. Our website team includes Andrew
7: Wakeling and Kate Mulhern-Graham and our theme music is by Jerry Frank.
5: Thanks to the
2: Radio Foundation in New York for their help this week.
7: You can listen again, browse our archives,
0: and find guest information in the details for each week's show. It's in the radio section
10: of ricksteves.com. All of us at Travel with Rick Steves wish you a clean house, good blather, and a wee piece of cake for the new year.
0: Travel with Rick Steves is made possible in part by the European Union Delegation to the USA, Tips about traveling in Europe and information about the EU are available at euintheus.org. Each year, Rick Steves
7: Tour Guides take free-spirited travelers on escorted tours all over Europe, one small group at a time. Choose from three dozen exciting itineraries covering the best of Europe from Ireland to Istanbul, Paris to St. Petersburg, and practically everywhere in between. For a free catalog and Rick's Tour Experience DVD, visit the tour pages at ricksteves.com.